Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful morning. I think I'm What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me. With me, as always, Brandon Newman on the ones and twos. Brandon. Hello, friend. Hello, Mike. I'm glad to see you. You look great. Thank you. I was trying to do my best Jim Nance there, but I realized I didn't go soft enough into the golf voice for it to really register. You did not. Yeah. You did not, I, did not, I did not pick up what you were putting down. I just was like, okay, we're talking slower. It's really hard to replicate, man. That's why they pay Jim Nance all that damn money. It's why he can finance his own Vineyard Vines brand. He's built different. Um, oh, man. Uh, speaking of built different, we got a great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out on the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab uh, once you've subscribed to that. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, their lead draft analyst, going to join us today to chop up a little NFL draft talk. He just did a three-round mock draft, which, boy, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldier, and that soldier was Mike Renner earlier this week. So talking about quarterbacks, where they slot into this, including one he has making a pretty sizable fall in the first round, the Hendon Hooker conversation that's picked up lately, are running backs going to matter this year, and a couple of his sleepers from the NFL draft. And Brandon, he is also a former classmate of ours. You're going to see in the background for anyone watching on YouTube, he's got the freaking four horsemen right behind him there. So even more Notre Dame podcast. We get more and more Irish uh, as the weeks go on, Mike. But are you a mock draft person? Do I like consuming them? Oh, Not, God, obviously, yes. No, obviously, obviously we love consuming them, Mike. I'm asking, do you get some skin in the game? Because I kind of, coming fresh off of the tournament, I want to know if there's the same type of disappointment when the bracket gets busted as your mock draft uh, round one, round two gets busted. You know what? I have ne- So I've done mock drafts like our friend Paige uh, Demacos, who came on the podcast here before over at the Draft Network. They've got mock draft tools on their website. And every once in a while, I'll go play around with that. But no, I'm not as steadfast to it. I'm more of a vibes-based draft analyst. So mm. I enjoy watching the players, getting to know those guys. I know the players I end up liking going into this and just want to see them find good homes. Like As someone who covers this coming from college where I get to watch and cover all these guys, calling games and doing that i want to see my large adult sons find homes in places that aren't going to ruin their careers (laughs) after i see them do all these great things in college so i'm like a worried parent on the first day of school that that makes a lot of sense and that it's almost you have more skin in the game in this way because you care about the actual person 
it's what happens, man. You learn all these stories in the game notes. And so those will certainly be coming up along the way as we discuss some of these draft prospects. But Mike's going to be here with us. We've also got a little bit of MVP talk with Joel Embiid that may finally be over, according to his coach. But Brandon, we do probably need to start as spring is officially sprung so for a lot of people there's different markers for when we get to the season mine is always when it's time to re-download the masters app it is i think the most functionally useful aesthetically pleasing and just overall good time of an app to have for any sort of sporting event it is constant clips going up of all these different points in the round the leaderboard there it gives you all the information and it presents it in a way that only the masters can reeking of azaleas green everywhere and just a good clean cut bit of branding so it's it's when it finally feels alive for me walking into the tournament we had the par three contest yesterday you get to see all the guys out there with their little babies max homa and his new little baby rory mcelroy having his daughter try and get up the sand with the big rake in there they've all got the little golf outfits on which i think we're trying to get one in the works for my nephew jackson for our golic family subpar classic this summer because there are a few things on this earth cuter than a kid in a little caddy outfit i don't know if you've seen those the little white caddy jumpsuits for the kids i i have not but i can imagine a, a painter's outfit if you will um but mike as someone who downloads apps and just keeps them in perpetuity when do you undownload the master's app so great question usually at some point and the, like there's no hard cutoff date i don't live my life that way with major holidays and the masters weekend is a holiday in sports and so okay. like my christmas tree it'll come down when it comes down pretty much every holiday decoration there's usually a remnant of almost every holiday in my house at any given moment in time except for valentine's day because obviously single gang for you know <laughs> for a long time now but uh, no, I don't put a real limit on it. It's just at some point when it's because I usually leave it out. I don't put it into any of the groups that you can do on the iPhone. I leave it okay. out on its own. And so at some point I'll just notice, okay, this is just taking up space on my phone. I've already got too many pictures on there. And so it's got to go. Okay. Thank you. I'll stop derailing. <laughs> no, there's no derailing. It, it's, it's an exciting start to the week. And these are the important questions that comes with it. Really going into this week, the Masters is great because it's the first major of the year. It's the one everybody knows and is familiar with. We've got all this history. And in this case this year, the storylines are very easy to follow, even if you're just a casual fan of golf parachuting in. Like, obviously, for the Masters, it's always going to be about Tiger Woods first and foremost until he's done playing. And we both know... He's talked a lot more openly about, I only have so many of these left. I'm only going to play so many tournaments that aren't the majors at this point. And so we're soaking up every little bit of Tiger nostalgia we possibly can. He just does a different thing to everybody. And even if we know him winning would be an insane long shot at this point, like it's not quite Leicester City in the Premier League from a few years ago. But it feels that way, and understandably so, that, you know what, we just need to kind of take the time and enjoy it. It's one of those things that we always talk about that with LeBron and Tom Brady appreciating it while we still got it around. Tiger walks into the weekend at plus 9,000 to win, and a lot of that just feels like home field advantage. It's a course he knows really well. Like The one for me would be Tiger to make the cut at minus 165 on DraftKings Sportsbook. Feels like the right place to set our hearts going into the weekend. It's going to be bad weather on Saturday and Sunday and so just mentally preparing that Tiger Woods who gave us a moment unlike any other at the you know a weekend unlike any other 
might not have that tool in his belt anymore. So you start, the world begins and ends with Tiger at Augusta National. That makes perfect sense. We got the live angle of it this year, which I know Mm -hmm. the players have tried to downgrade and... It's just kind of impossible not to have that specter there. It's been the most transcendent story in golf ever since it happened, ever since Phil Mickelson and the comments that he was giving to a guy that was writing a book became public about how he knew the human rights atrocities that the Saudi government had been linked to and then ended up missing last year's Masters for the first time in, I think, 24 years or something like that for Phil. And so... We haven't seen or heard a lot of him publicly since then, or at least not as much as we had been used to for a guy that was ubiquitous with the sport of golf and a media darling and incredibly sellable. And walking into this weekend where we've heard from Cameron Smith and some of the other live guys, Brooks Kepka, uh, the guys that'll actually be potentially in contention. I think Dustin Johnson is the live golfer with the best odds to win the tournament at plus 2,200. Those are the guys that know Cameron Smith, I think, said it out loud. They know they got to kind of put on for the live to feel like it's got any shred of legitimacy because they keep losing court battles against the PGA. Nobody's watching them on the CW. There aren't a lot of wins to be had for them right now, other than these guys all lining their bank account with contracts that, as we learn more and more about them, seem increasingly more restrictive and foobar outside of the incredible dollar amount that goes along with them. Is it not legitimizing Liv just to have golfers from Liv in the Masters? Obviously, they were PGA golfers before, but the the representation is what it is. Yeah, so there's 18 golfers from the Live circuit in this one. And yeah, that's a, a great point because when we were having this conversation last year and we had Stu Gotts on the show, he said the biggest bleep you the PGA could throw back at the live golfers who they went out and tried to keep from other PGA tour events was if the majors got together and really led by the masters, since it's sort of the granddaddy of them all, would they be the ones to say, no, we're not going to allow these guys to come through here. When the masters decided, Hey, we're going to do this business as usual. We're going to operate and build our field the same as we always have. That's a win in a certain way. But Brandon, Phil Mickelson as we see him back here, like gaunt, looks like he's lost a bunch of weight by all accounts because I can't see it ever, is playing really poorly on the Live Tour. Phil Mickelson's kind of a symbol of Live Golf's best triumph, like getting a guy of his caliber, getting his name associated with this early on, and their biggest failure at the same time. It's why I don't ever think the sports washing that they're seeking to do, this idea that you can just funnel money into sports leagues as a way to get people to kind of look the other way on how bad you are when it comes to all the human rights violations that Phil talked about. He screamed the quiet part at the beginning. Now, It was leaked from someone who was writing a book. He thought it was off the record. But however it goes, he said the words out loud that made their way to the surface. And so now every time Liv comes up, you don't get the benefit of being talked about like a normal competitor. You've Mm. gotten some of that. But at the end of the day, the sentiment that we all know is and the reason that you've had the PGA and Liv as these warring factions is everyone knows it is laced with blood money. It is this money that's quite, quite literally trying to be laundered through this league in order to buy a better reputation. And because you walked in with that as the opening stanza, I just don't think there's any way they ever get there. And 
ever since then, we've just seen the losses stack up for them in the court of public opinion and actual courts. And so I think Phil being back here and not doing any of the press conferences in the lead up to this and really trying to dodge and deflect this is kind of a symbol of, yeah, you were able to line your pockets. And we know Phil talked about these grandiose goals of pushing the PGA to do things that we've seen. They've actually done. But at the end of the day, the long play for this was never about, I think, being competitive with the PGA on that level, even as much as it was trying to buy a better reputation for a group of people who thought money and sports were their way to do that. And I just don't know if it's possible in the ways that they intended because of what went on with Phil Mickelson. The last portion of this that's directly connected to that is Rory McIlroy. Like, obviously, I go into all these tournaments rooting for Max Homa, the Internet's favorite golfer. Seems like an awesome dude. You know, you've got the Tony Finau's of the world. Obviously, Scotty Scheffler, your world number one, is an absolute animal. But Rory McIlroy, who has the second best odds to win uh, on DK Sportsbook going into this, is the guy who's been the leader for the PGA alongside Tiger Woods during all of this. He was a golfer we've known forever. I mean, God, he's been on the PGA Tour now for over a decade, playing at the highest level, winning majors. And this past year and change when this all happened, though, he really took more of that vocal role. He stepped out in front and said, I'm going to be Captain America, you know, tongue-in-cheek, obviously, because he's not American, uh, for the PGA and kind of put on for my city. And so... Now that we got to that point with him, it just underscores again. Like we talked about the importance of Liv going on and putting out in this. Rory McElroy, who has been chasing the career Grand Slam now, this is his ninth attempt at completing the career Grand Slam, which is winning all four majors in his career. Augusta's the last notch on his belt, and he has had some freaking heartbreakers here. Finished second last year, tied for fourth in 2015, uh, tied for fifth in 2018 and 2020. He had that four-stroke lead going into the final round in 2011 and then posted the worst final round score for a leader in the 75-year history of the Masters in excruciating fashion like anyone that remembers watching that three hole stretch from 10 or four hole stretch of 10 through 13 remembers the anguish that that guy was in so there's ghosts there are severe demons with Rory and this course and it was always going to be a big story right there's only he'd be he would be the sixth player to ever complete the career Grand Slam. It's Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, Ben Hogan, Gary Player, and Gene Sarsen. That's it. So it would be elite company and an accomplishment of its own, but I just think because we've seen him take on this leadership role and because we've talked about some of those stakes for Liv on the other side, if Rory was able to get it done now, where you know he's been good, he's spent time at world number one this year, but hasn't won a major in eight years, it would be quite a time for him to do so. I, I like what I saw from him. There's an article on ESPN that Rory talking about the ghosts of the Masters that he's facing. And he said that losing last year to Scotty Scheffler, and, but actually being in it till the last couple strokes, was getting over the mountain that we are acting like winning the Masters would be for him. He said it was for the first time he could see himself winning. He could like see how he could end up winning the the green jacket at the end of the day. And I think that might be a big difference for him going into this time around. But to be always compared with Tiger, and obviously he is because those are the two mascots uh, for the PGA right now. I mean, Tiger won that thing when he was 21 years old. 
in in the 90s like like i feel like the like the the whole concept of the comparison is is lost on me and if rory does it it's very personal and, and individual for him but like trying to i hear what you're saying like he could be doing like mount rushmore golf status things by getting this win but all of the narrative around it just feels like it's more insurmountable than it is like his time well, it, it, it is at this point because he's 33 now, like we talked about it. That went down when he was 21 back in 2011. And so he's got a lot of time still. Like as a 33-year-old, I like to lie and say that he's still a young man. But at some point, it happening this many times. And if he misses for a ninth straight chance at this, every year is going to get more and more pressure filled. He's been working with a sports and golf psychologist to try and help get over some of this stuff. Like golf's an insane sport where the six inches in between your ears are, that's the enemy you're going up to face as much as any player on the course. Like I always joke how we can't yell at any of the golfers or talk during their backswings because they have to go out and attack this little bitty white ball. Meanwhile, I had people like you trying to sack the quarterback and run me over and 80,000 people felt like screaming like the stakes feel a little bit different for each of us but the enemy's really in your own head in golf any of us who've gone out in the course and played you know how quickly it can spiral and for these guys with as much as on the line financially and legacy wise you can see how something like that's going to add up for a guy like Rory and so I I think it'd be cool to watch him win I I I know I'm kind of rooting for that story you know I'm not really a guy that's a diehard fan of one golfer necessarily that would be a pretty cool way to cap what's been the last year or so for Rory McIlroy so plenty of good stuff in there enjoy the pimento cheese for everybody that's down there on site Brandon you and I got to go on the sweat and rehash our master's dinners and I will say you came very correct Uh, Scotty Scheffler got to do his master's (laughs) dinner and it was adorable he had burger sliders just the everyman he had him Scotty's way which is just putting like french fries on him and shit I love that. I we've been talking about what Scotty style is to find out that it's just a little bit of you know, fried potatoes on top. That's wholesome right there. Scotty style sounds like a golf cartoon they would have made in the early two thousands when we were still watching them. Like it just it's it seems perfect for him. But we were inspired by that. We went on yes. with our dear friends uh Emerson and Jesse over at the sweat yesterday, and I hugged tight to the one we talked about with dad on here. I said doing hibachi for the Masters winners would be exceptional. Watching yeah. some of the old timers have to try and catch the shrimp or the broccoli when he throws it off the spatula <laughs> would be great sport. You know, you'd probably have a couple of the guys getting loose on the sake. I saw the AI rendering they did of all the Masters winners partying the night of that the rendering oh, they did online see that. it was electric but yours was incredibly thorough brandon do you have it in front of you i do mike i do it's a, a big big breakfast for dinner guy Ooh. uh love me some eggs you know what i mean love me some just an excuse to have dessert again really you know that's what breakfast is we actually got in a debate in college do you remember when i was trying to convince you that cookie was a pastry that cookie was a pastry? Like, that cookies should be, like, out with breakfast stuff, just like donuts and other... Because it's just, the, it's just like, it's not that far off. Yeah, I, I, like, I understand, like, most breakfast stuff is dessert. The greatest lie that I ever told myself was that muffins were a healthy breakfast alternative <laughs> and not just cake with a fancy top. 
Yeah, uh, uh, cupcakes without icing. Right, and you're a big icing they're guy. They're just naked cupcakes. Right, exactly. Okay, but anyways, some of them do have ice cream. Shout out to the Martin Side Door muffins. They had a couple cinnamon rolls in there that were drenched <laughs> with the good stuff. Speaking of cinnamon rolls, Mike, don't don't jump over my list here. Um, so, in the appetizer, uh, if I was to win a master, Masters, this is the dinner that I would have set up the next year round. Um, Burger King sandwiches. Oh yeah, as as a as an as a nice little appetizer. I'm I'm imagining cut in little triangles and fourths, and people can just use the fork to kind of pick off that. That along with shrimp and grits. I imagine you've been there. Those like the silver or the plastics forks and spoons that are actually just silver or uh, like they have low silver finish. Yep, they look like they're actual silverware, but they're still yes. plastic. Yes, absolutely. That was some shrimp and grits handed around. Those are the appetizers. And then there's the tortilla soup that uh, Scotty Scheffler said. So I was like, you know what? French onion soup. Love that. If I had to be specific, probably from not Bar Louie, Mike. What was that uh, bar in South Bend that was right next to Bar Louie that is oh. also downtown Indianapolis? Is it Gra- Granite City? Granite City. That's the one. Yes. <laughs> Granite City's that's a deep that's a it's that's a deep cut right there. <laughs> Granite City's French onion soup with a Panera baguette. Okay, and damn. Then when, onto we, the, when we were we thought we were bomb, we headed over to Granite City or Flat Top to get some of that. Bro, oh my god, bro. we were outside. Like, it's okay. Like this is our our outside meal for the week. Uh, but anyways, so that and then also instead of steak and eggs, fillet and eggs. You know, oh, yeah. uh, chicken and waffles, maybe some oysters on the side. Okay. Uh, and then just because, you know, they have to say what comes along with that. You know, just some hash browns, some all berry fruit, no cantaloupes or, or melons. Get that shit up out of here. I'm sorry. Wow. Um, with the English muffin to spread it on. And then for dessert, Mike, mini Cinnabons. Cinnabons passed out and salt and straw ice cream. Pick your flavor. And if you're, you know, Oregon, L.A., you know salt and straw. Uh, maybe 16 handles. I like their options over there as well. But just a, a, a calorie tour de France. They're putting a salt and straw in across from Manhattan Beach Creamery over by the pier. It, yeah, real, I mean, real Bloods and Crip stuff going on there. Oh, I mean, Mike, speaking about you being single, I feel like you could head over there, maybe maybe borrow a friend's dog, just wait in line. Because you do have to wait in line a little bit of salt and straw. I know you don't like doing that, but it's worth it. It is definitely worth it. I went with you and Michelle when you guys were out here, and my eyes were definitely opened. I would love the, the dog card is the next step in me eventually finding a significant other. Brandon, it's a tremendous spread. The melon slander is kind of iffy. Um, what was the one before the cinnamon roll that you pointed out? Um, I it was the hash brown all berries fruit and then the english muffin the english Uh, muffin to me is a sneaky star of this always because it's the breakfast carb with the most absorption it's a big sponge basically especially when you butter that bastard oh my god yeah it's it's because biscuits get heavy if you're if we're all being honest with ourselves Uh, bagels are even more dense like the english muffin is like a, a good it's like a good excuse for like an open face sandwich like whatever you want to put on there just scarf it down. It's a textural delight. Brand, top to bottom, yeah. incredible. You're never going to have a hard time selling me on breakfast to dinner. That's home base for your boy. So you are uh, you're preaching to a very willing choir right here. Uh, Echo Joe Show on Twitter. 
if you've got any criticisms of our wonderful <laughs> Masters winner spreads, how dare... By the way, for anyone, um, GolicSubparClassic.com uh, or GolicSubpar.com is the website for our family's charity golf tournament this year. We announced in honor of Masters Week, we are doing green jackets with the Golic family logo for the winning group at the golf wow. tournament. So the stakes just got raised. A tradition just like that one other. Yeah, I, okay, now... I'm gonna be there because last year I was there, so I'm gonna be there again. And now I gotta win. Now I gotta get. Now I gotta get my game on. Because you got the an advantage, man. You got the, Florida coursing through your veins now. Golf is just I, a part of you. It, it is. It is, Mike. And shout out to everyone that's over there at the Subcar Classic. The the merch lives on. Like I, I believe I saw Kyle Rudolph just casually wearing one of the Subpar Classic hats in, in, in a post recently. I was just like, I mean, <laughs> it's real. Quality speaks for itself. Amen. Go look subparclassic.com. Make sure you check it out. Get you some of that fine merch. We'll have plenty of auction items coming up. We had a lot of time to tell you more about that. But Brandon. Hey, Dad. What do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. We have very little time left in the NBA regular season to tell you about why Joel Embiid is probably going to win the MVP at this point. Um, Joel Embiid coming off of a 52-point it wasn't a beatdown because it was a close game against the Boston Celtics that were without Jalen Brown in that game, were without Robert Williams, one of their centers in that game, and almost had a Jason Tatum tie tying shot that would have sent it to overtime near the end. As Joel Embiid said after the game, we found a million ways to try and lose that thing. Him being on the court wasn't one of them. 52 points later, a million shots at the top of the key later, he was... As advertised, he was. it was all of the best parts of Joel Embiid that we saw at a really important juncture because yeah. I saw on ESPN.com, they did a straw poll of the MVP race coming off of this weekend before that game had taken place. And they said it was shaping up to be one of the closest MVP races they had ever seen. You've got Giannis, Embiid, and Nikola Jokic that had been at the top of this, but really it had been the Jokic and Embiid conversation for a large portion of this year. And for a long time, Jokic was on that historic tear. And then 
things started to get a little bit different, right? All of a sudden, you look at Nikola Jokic and what's going on with that team. They started losing a little bit more down the backstretch of the season. They uh, had Nikola Jokic then missing games. He missed three games and then came back and played like shit against the Houston Rockets when they had a chance to clinch the one seed in the Western Conference. And it does feel a little cheap because it's all being whittled down to like, what have you done for me lately? But I don't really have a lot of beef with it because it's been that close all year. And so how you want to stamp this on the way out does in fact matter, which prompted Doc Rivers to say last night was the end of the MVP race in his mind and that Joel Embiid had gone out and won that thing. I, I, I am perfectly fine with that, Brandon. Like if that's, like I, I've been in plenty of situations. I remember when I was in training camp with the Montreal Alouettes in the CFL, and we were coming down to roster cuts, and they wanted to sign me to the practice squad at first, and there's a lot of weird rules up there about how many Americans you can have on the field at once, and then they were kind of like, maybe we can sign you to the back end of the active roster, and I remember sitting with my parents going, I came up here unsure if I actually wanted to go through with it because it's a two-year commitment where you can't go back down contractually and try and get back to the NFL. And I was really looking for something about the process to make the decision for me. And nothing mm-hmm. came. It was ambiguous, and so I had to strap that, strap that on and make the decision. In this case, Joel Embiid was comfortable making the decision for people. If you were a voter that's looking for an out, and I think they sent out the ballots or a reminder about the ballots yesterday or the day before, if you're a voter that was looking for something to sway you, this closing remark... I think is an understandable reason to give Joel Embiid the MVP with it still clearly also being able to point back to what he did this season. He said the other day that he's going to be go down as one of the best shooting big man. I think he said that he's the best center of all time when it comes to shooting things like that. But like, like there's a, he has a point to the new version of how basketball is played for a five and how he's adapted and how his game has, has, really gotten better since his time at Kansas and you know those first couple uh, years in the league where he had to sit out the majority of the time like now this is him striking while the iron's hot I don't know if we need to see a playoff push for him to really uh, justify this but well remember it's it's a a regular season award so it's going to be based on what's happened so far and Brandon to that point like yes Joel Embiid listen his case is that not only is he I think second in scoring right now behind Jason Tatum which my god Jason Tatum at some point is going to get him one of these MVPs too that man is remarkable like the Boston Celtics that was honestly the biggest takeaway I had coming off that game the Sixers have been 0-3 against the Celtics they avoided the season sweep by beating them in that game and it was still touch and go Joel Embiid played the best game humanly possible and it was still almost a game that went to overtime with Jason Tatum just out there making it happen like I know Al Horford Grant Williams like Al Horford had been for so many years the Joel Embiid stopper and he was just going out there and putting in work on him I don't want to attribute too much like oh Robert Williams would just be the difference but the Celtics are about not only the best backcourt in basketball which Jason Tatum didn't have Brown out there with him but also the depth on that roster that allows them to be a problem for a team like the Sixers that are a little bit more top heavy I came away from that game going man if this ends up where we get Milwaukee one Boston two and the Sixers three and they can see them in the second round we might be dealing with yet another uncomfortable situation where the MVP is going home before the conference finals because I'm picking Boston in a seven game series against the Sixers right now 
Yeah, but I feel like the Sixers have maybe gotten over that hump. Like, one of the cool things about Embiid scoring so much is that the rest of the team struggled outside of Harden scoring 20 points. Like, yeah. I, I think he needed – the team needed that. Like, they won 103 to, to 101. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> on the back of 52 points from Embiid. And, and I think the biggest thing, stat line for that is 20 of 25 shooting. Like, I, I just – I feel like – you can't give Embiid the the MVP because of one game, but because he has been in the conversation quietly at sometimes and loudly in others the entire time, it, it wouldn't be a surprise that in the, at the end of this season, especially with the Joker fatigue, for him to come and steal his first one this year. And I I hate that it would be even thought of as that way because I don't want fatigue for a player's greatness to be a reason that we don't give him that like when Joker was healthy and on the court and doing what he had been doing for so much of the season I would have been totally comfortable with him giving another one I get the historical precedent of it but that's not what we're here to do we're here to give out award for who played the best basketball during the regular season that's the award and so saying well we can't let him be a one of the three time winners and we can't let him because he hasn't had postseason success and because he's got really red arms and bleeds all the time, we can't let him be that guy. And so we've got to give it to Joel Embiid. Like, Joel deserves this. It was incredibly close. And like you said, he's managed to avoid being off the court in the critical juncture of the season at the end when it matters very often how you finish these things for that award. So I think Joel is deserving of this irregardless of what history wants to do with Nikola Jokic because I think that's kind of BS. So, I see the disappointment on your face. I'm going to take that. I'm going to deal with it. I think Embiid, it's time. And just like you said, Jason Tatum at some point in time is going to get his MVP. We all agree. He finally got those shoulders in shape. And he's been one of the most dominant NBA players in the league for the last three years comfortably. But, you know, like as someone who had to sit here – upset that James Harden was getting MVPs, but you couldn't deny the numbers and the impact. I think that same level, if anyone, if there's anyone's hating on Joel Embiid, this is that year for him. Like you can't deny the numbers. Yeah. It's been, he's got the requisite momentum. He's been derailed by injury constantly. He's there. He's absolutely there. I do think it's funny because we're talking about the effect one game can have on this. Doc Rivers, I think this might have been when Joel Embiid sat out the matchup between the Nuggets where it was supposed to be him versus Jokic. And Doc Rivers Mm -hmm. came out, I think it was before that game, and said, it's Joel's body of work that speaks for itself. We did the right thing there. So I uh, asked if he thought Embiid missing that game could impact his candidacy. He said, we did the right thing there. So I didn't think that's fair. You're not judged for one game that I know of. You're judged for the entire season by your record by your team's performance and he's been dominant i understand again this is one game that's a stamp on what he's done all season but it doesn't make it sound a little bit like Alanis morissette irony there i mean doc rivers is the king of talking out of both sides of his mouth but depending on the press conference or the question really exactly doc you know what doc doesn't let the past dictate the future and i appreciate that about him (laughs) i also appreciate that this mvp race has actually made basketball people go away i heard i I forget who it was and i'm going to be so mad at myself i was listening to a bat it it was either the guys on pti or somebody else talking about this advocating for the use of raw stats like the scoring title as a cumulative number instead of per game because 
because it takes into account how many games you actually played since that's we know a big priority for the league right now and i'm like we have been over here in football for years trying to convince people that raw stats are not the way to go and that we've got better numbers at the very least use per game numbers let alone some of the things that football outsiders and all these other analytically minded inclined people have done to make smarter football stats because volume stats don't really tell us as much as we think basketball is like actually we kind of need those back at this juncture if you don't mind i it, realistically the whole analytics argument was so funny to me because it really is a sport by sport conversation it is and like listen deep stats still love Jokic. speaking of analytics here like player efficiency rating it's Jokic one it's Embiid two win shares per 48 Jokic is by far ahead of everyone and i hear bomani jones on his podcast talk all the time about how that's one of the most predictive stats when it comes to who ends up taking home the mvp box plus like all box plus minus all those things love Jokic. Joel Embiid goes out and can affect the game on both ends of the court of the of, of the floor. He scores at an unholy rate. He can take over a game like he did last night, and he's been healthy at all the right times. So, congratulations to Joel Embiid. Close it down. The award is over, and I'm sure nothing crazy will happen from here on out. Speaking of crazy, uh, Brandon, we are going to get to our friend Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, where among other things, we will talk about it is mock draft, why the Ravens trade back to the Los Angeles Rams, even after, did you see that press conference with John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta yesterday, where one of the reporters, a few of them, tried to ask about Lamar Jackson, and one of the media folks from the Ravens that, that works for the team stepped in and said, Please be respectful. We are only talking questions about the draft. And John Harbaugh had the deadest, saddest look in his eyes I have ever seen. That man is in hell with the way things are going. In a press conference where, by the way, Eric DaCosta said, based on the grades we have in our top 31, it's not out of the realm that we would take a quarterback in the first round of this year's draft. The worst part about it, Mike, was that Harbaugh tried to squash it. He said, actually, guys, we're only taking draft-related questions. I know you guys want to know about Lamar and the you know quarterback. And then about four or five other reporters came in. That's when the PR Ravens was like, guys, 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 guys. But this is the bed they made. This is the bed they made. This is what they have to lay in. And I'm upset the answers weren't given, to be honest with you. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm usually not the guy that like leans toward the journalism. Like, like it's the journalists, right? They got to ask the hard questions. They got to report it. But, like, give us something. The draft is basically here. And... Lamar Jackson has requested a trade, and the Ravens don't have a quarterback. And as DaCosta answered, it's directly tied to what they might do in the draft. Like, if you're thinking about moving this dude, now all and of a sudden teams. that's got to be a very real priority. So that's a pressing question for them to ask. Yeah, and if they do move him, then you're dealing with another first-round draft pick, at least in this upcoming draft. Like, I think, like, it's it's not – this isn't a stretch to be asking about Lamar Jackson in a draft press conference. No, it is not, but it produced one of the more uncomfortable faces I have ever seen. Thoughts and prayers to John Harbaugh, man. Again, usually coaches are on the side of knowing, hey, when I got one of these fun quarterbacks, I really want to keep one of these fun quarterbacks because my job gets a lot easier. That's a face that really understands what a rock in the hard place situation he's in. We're going to take a quick break, though. When we come back, Pro Football Focus's lead draft analyst, Mike Renner, our old Notre Dame classmate, going to stop by and talk us through his latest mock draft. 
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, excited to welcome in Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus's lead draft analyst. And uh, if you can't tell by the background, if you're not watching on YouTube today, proud Notre Dame Fighting Irish alum. Mike, uh, how we doing, man? Yeah, former classmates, right? We, we were in computer applications for... 018 or something back in the day together uh it's we were we were doing the math right before we got on here about the last time we saw each other in that setting and it uh deeply unsettling almost as unsettling <laughs> as i'm sure me trying to make my way through that class was so uh i'm sure you fared a lot better than i did we had a group project and we got a good grade that was one of unfortunately one of like my few a's i got in my course of my notre dame career but we, i got an a in at least Hey, there we go, man. We, we found a way through there, and uh, we found a way here, and you found your way uh, yesterday. For everybody that hasn't seen it already, if you haven't seen it already, uh, make sure you get on over and check out. Mike just dropped a, a dandy of a three-round mock draft the other day, so I feel like I need to do a wellness check on you first and foremost. Are you okay? I am. Uh, it's actually insane how long those take. I need to, in the future, just go... I do it where I like to I plug players. I'm like, I want to get this guy here, that guy here, that guy here. I honestly just need to go through like the mock draft simulator and just decide, 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 decide instead of trying to get the perfect fits everywhere. It, it takes way longer than it really should. Oh, God. So you like try and do this like a Sudoku almost where you're going through and it's like, all right, I need the one <laughs> that I'm absolutely sure about first and I'll just build everything else off that. That, that is the perfect analogy because you run into times where you're like, I need to like cheat here. You know, like I need to find the answer. Someone like tell me because there are times where I'm just like, there's no right fit for this one team with who I, who I have left to pick from. So with that in mind and looking maybe just at the top and like the first round of what you did, what was the most difficult decision? What was the biggest problem you ran into with trying to find fit for player and team? I think it's... One is where the fourth quarterback goes. It is the big like kind of wild card in this class that's going to kind of dictate everything because I think one, two is QBs, and then I think either three or four is going to be a QB. Um, but then who? But then you have either probably Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. Where do they end up going? Because kind of the musical chairs of quarterbacks, everyone's found their chairs there in the top ten. I don't know who else among the Lions, Seahawks, Raiders. Falcons at this point is going to pull the trigger on a quarterback. I, I don't think there is. So at that point, where does that next guy fall? I, I ended up having 
Uh, will Levis be the faller, be the guy who slides? And I had him sliding all the way at 22, where then I had the Rams trading up. So that was kind of figuring that puzzle piece was kind of the initial one. Uh, the initial domino that had to fall there. Does it does it give you any pause because that was the Rams trading up with the Baltimore Ravens and we just heard from Eric DaCosta what will be yesterday when this podcast drops that they're not opposed to taking a quarterback in the first round based on how they've got this graded. So does that kind of throw a wrench into the thinking already? That is the one team that I was like, do I give them a quarterback? Because mm. I, I think from their plans, they're trying to call Lamar Jackson's bluff. I, I don't think they have any i guess indication they were not doing this to try to move on from lamar jackson they were doing it to kind of just say hey lamar here's your market we will match it but here just to let you know this is what the rest of the nfl kind of thinks of you and so i think that was their plan all along so i I didn't think they were going to go qb but obviously when you're they are very analytically driven organization it it doesn't hurt you to have two qbs because one of them obviously like if one's good then you have a super valuable trade piece there so uh, yeah, I guess that's one where, in retrospect, probably should have thought a little hard about the Ravens being active in this class. Yeah, I mean, listen, the Rams getting involved in this, given where they are at in their team trajectory, and you know, the, I'm sure the whispers of Liam Cohen, who just left the building to go back into the building, wills in. There's a lot of crossover there that would make a, a fair amount of sense at that spot. You talked about that fourth quarterback. I feel like I've seen a lot of discussion in the last couple of weeks about the fifth quarterback and everyone trying to make that guy Hendon Hooker. Where are you at on the Vols' former quarterback? What's your eval on him? Well, one, like I I was saying, it's hard to get the fourth one in. I don't know how you're going to get the fifth one in. But two, like Hooker's, I think he's super talented, and I buy into him like as a human being. I think this guy has it factor, and I think the improvement that you've seen from him Virginia Tech to two years at Tennessee it is there's parallels to like a Jalen Hurts where Jalen Hurts you remember his freshman sophomore year yeah. it was like he was like haha Jalen Hurts the pass or whatever by senior year like it was a completely different animal and then when he goes 51 me as an ass I'm like that's like reasonable like he was good enough and then by you know year two you're like eh, still is he an actual quarterback and then by year three in the NFL all of a sudden he's in the MVP race so that's how I kind of the parallels I see with Hendon Hooker that when he was at Virginia Tech, you're like, oh, this guy's, you know, uh, he's not even a court. Like, he obviously got benched there. So, like, the, the obviously there was that. And then at Tennessee, massive stride, massive stride. But then there is just ACL, 25 years old, and you've watched the Tennessee offense. Like, the c- concepts, translatable, <laughs> uh, don't, those don't go, uh, those terms do not relate to that offense whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's always the hardest part. And I'd be curious for you, like how you try and parse that out, because we've got such a mix of offenses, obviously, in college football. You get so many of these spread hurry up systems. You know, I hear people always give them the label, these Mickey Mouse offenses, where it's either chuck it deep, chuck it short, or have a quarterback who can run and go. And so what's the thing you're looking for in a guy, even in the midst of that, that kind of sells you on taking him? I think there's, you know, other aspects of the quarterback position that are massive besides that. That's like how you deal with pressure, how your eyes, how quickly your eyes move. Because you're still like, you still need to get a couple things. You still need to get a couple things done with your eyes and how quickly you're able to do that. And then obviously just ball placement accuracy. You can still tell on an offense like that, which is where like he was excelling. You you know, that offense runs the way it does because his deep ball was still fantastic. Mm -hmm. He was dropping it in some bucket. And I think... It is that poise in the pocket that you saw that was the biggest transition from him. He stands tall, 
the pockets collapsed and he was unfazed this last year. The one kind of knock I will say from his tape that is a little worrisome is that he will do that, but then as soon as as soon as there's any breakdown, as soon as he's going, he is a runner. Like he is not the creator that Bryce Young is outside the pocket. Uh, you know, he doesn't have that aspect to his game yet. I think he was something like this last year. There was only three completions all year that he when he broke the pocket. And now maybe some of that's a little of Tennessee offense, but that's just. He, he, he breaks the pocket to run. He doesn't break the pocket to be a creator with his arm. So that's probably a little knock on him. But uh, those other things, like I said, are definitely in his favor. You said the name because that is the polar opposite of Bryce Young. Like some of the most last second, not going to go until he sees the white of their eye and make the pitch kind of throws that you'll ever see. How worried are you about the size there? Because from a pure quarterbacking standpoint, he's the most enjoyable player I got to watch in this draft lead up among that group. But obviously the size is almost an historic outlier for someone that talented. I don't think I'm worried about it from an on-field performance standpoint. Like The way he plays the game, it reminds me of you know, like a high level point guard in the NBA where he's kind of just, he's trying to buy, like trying to like almost testing, you know, the guy across mm-hmm. from him until he knows there's like a, a window and then it's, then it's there. Then, then the ball is gone. It is exactly where it needs to be. And it's accurate. So I, I think that aspect of his game is something that I, I firmly think will translate to the NFL level. that so few guys have that, that like we glorify Mahomes for that because it's there's not other guys that can do that it's it's a difficult skill when it moves as fast uh as it does in the nfl and in the sec so i I love that about his game it's more injury you know there's you race odd obviously this past year misses a game with a shoulder injury he's just going to be subject to hits from bigger more explosive stronger guys and he's not exactly risk averse when it comes to taking hits, you know, he'll hold on to it till the bitter end on some plays where he really doesn't need to. And it's not and he's a good as athlete, he's great as capability. Like I think he could play slot receiver in the NFL if he wanted to. Uh, I'm not calling for him to change positions by any means. Don't give me don't get twisted. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> don't, don't put words in my mouth. Yeah, please but, God, don't aggregate this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but I do think that he could see some Baker Mayfield-esque struggles in that regard. We think he may be a little bit more athletic than he is. You know, Baker is like the king of, I can outrun this 6'6", 260-pound DN that runs a 4'4". No, you can't, Baker. And I think maybe Bryce Young has just a little bit of that on his tape that he could be tracked down a little more than he was in college. Yeah, he was the best at playing chicken at quarterback. Like, would go, go, go right up until the last minute and see who was going to blink first. And yeah, yeah, sometimes that did bite him in the ass. And I want to get out ahead of this with Bryce Young because you're probably going to hear about it next fall. He's not a good slider. He he's, he did not probably play baseball. If you've watched him try to slide at all, <laughs> it's it's awkward. So we're, we're probably going to hear about that come the NFL, that someone from wherever he goes, whatever baseball team's there, had to teach him how to slide. Oh, man, what one of the best storylines. You get the tarp out at practice. You get a yes. little bit of that B-roll when you're getting through with the part of practice everyone the can film. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. All right, well, we'll all keep an eye out for that. Remember, Mike told you first on that. Um, I, I The other thing that jumped out to me about the mock in your first round, and I'm sure you've seen the slights that go towards your guys' company all the time when it comes to running back conversation. You got Bijan going at 20, man. Talk me through this now. Did you have to almost hand in your work badge to make that pick at that spot? <laughs> no, there's been some, I don't want to say pushback, but there's there's some 
there's some derision, division, there we go, that's the word I'm looking for, inside within PFF about where to take a running back, and especially one like B. John Robinson, who, you know, he, maybe he's not the high end of Saquon Barkley, but I think he's a more complete running back than Saquon Barkley. Is. Like, there's just, I think Tommy Chase said, there's no weaknesses to his game, and I, and I truly do, that's how I see him as a running back prospect. It's about as safe a thing as you're getting in this draft class. But to me, there's like, there's still even NFL GMs, though, I don't think would go to bat for him. And I see it more as if, if you commit to, if you're a team that is committed to the running game, if you're not, you know, Chargers, Chiefs, if you're not a team that wants to throw, that has a quarterback that can throw, that like you want the ball in your quarterback's hands 90% of the time anyway. You know, like you, you don't even want to put that in your head to be feeding a run heavy offense with who you have a quarterback. If you don't have that guy, if you have a good offensive line already in place, I, I think by all means in this first round, maybe not top 10, but past pick 15, say, draft a guy like Bijan Robinson because he can take your rushing game from, you know, that good level where, you know, good run defenses will probably still stop you to that level where I don't care who you are, you're not going to stop this rushing attack. You're, you're going to have to do whatever it takes to limit it. So I, I do think obviously New England would be a team that would pull the trigger. Not everyone would. I think there's only a handful in the first round that would, but I think New England would. They obviously did only a handful of years ago. Uh, and with how committed they are to the running game and smash them off football, Bijan feels like the guy. Yeah, I, I don't think you're good. I, he's one of those guys that does feel like the exception to this conversation that we constantly have where everyone kind of looks and goes, yeah, in the right circumstance, that's just too much talent to pass up on. Even in like running back this year, we look probably one of the deeper position groups in the draft class like in your mind is that the deepest group is there another one that gives it a rival as far as the depth of talent overall i think there's three positions that really stand out as deep you know historically compared to your run-of-the-mill class and it's running back it's tight end and it's cornerback the deepest of those three yeah, I think I'd have to go running back because I think I, you know, when I was tallying up final grades, I think there were 13 guys in this class that would have been ahead of my fifth range running back from last year. So just compared wow. to last year, 13 guys that would have been top five backs. And I think you'll see that come draft day. You'll see something like 10 or 12 going by the end of day two, I bet. It's just, it is a deep, deep class. And so when that's the case, that also changes the calculus of first round running back and that. You could be Bijan the first, get Jameer Gibbs in the second, though, if you pass on Bijan. It's like, because Jameer, Jameer Gibbs has more speed. Jameer Gibbs is probably a better receiver. Like, there's things that Jameer Gibbs can do that Bijan can't. So uh, that's always the other unspoken factor of, it's like, yeah, this guy's good, but there are other good guys, and they also go a lot later in the draft at the running back position. All right, you said tight end in that group. You got three going in the first round. But you have Michael Mayer going third. Are you prepared to hand back your diploma for your crimes against our country? Uh, I, I, I do apologize to Michael Mayer because I have been banging the table for him. Freshman year he showed up. I was in awe of what this guy could do at that young age. You do not see freshmen that physically put together on a collegiate football field ever. Just like ever. He is one of one. But we're we'd have to haggle over a little bit of the ceiling talk here. It's that's, that's what you're chasing. That's what everyone's chasing in the first round, because I think everyone knows that you're getting a damn good football player in Michael Mayer. It's just the way everyone knows you're getting a damn good football player in Bijan Robinson, but it's how valuable is the run blocking and how valuable is, you know, five yard out routes that he runs in his sleep and can kill a linebacker with. But in today's NFL, those, you know, 
teams are giving you that. It's the guys that can challenge deep that are really the guys who change the position at tight end, the Kyle Pitts of the world. Uh, and so that's why I have Kincaid ahead of him on the PFF board. I think Kincaid's more of that guy. And, and truthfully, I have Darnell Washington going to Jaguars just because it's Trent Baalke. Like, Trent Baalke is a different animal when we're yeah. talking about what they're going to pick, right? You know, last year, Trayvon Walker goes one. I didn't know a single person in the draft world who had Trent, who had Trayvon Walker, the number one prospect. Darnell Washington goes ahead of Michael Mayer because he's chasing these absurd traits guys. <laughs> Darnell Washington, if you talk about absurd traits, that's an absurd traits guy. Yeah, I guess I can't really fault anyone whose draft strategy is trace uh, like chase absurd athlete from Georgia. If that was yeah. your whole draft strategy at this point as a GM, I'd be able to look at you and kind of understand. Truthfully, though, I think that's everyone from Georgia. So just drafting Georgia players at this point seems like a good thing. And I think the Packers are trying to recreate 2021 Georgia defense anyway, so... Yeah, again, not not a bad decision, <laughs> not a bad idea. considering yeah. what your defense looked like if you were Green Bay last year, too. You'd probably like to see a little bit more of that uh, pop up into the equation. I was very heartened by this while I was a, a little upset about the mayor stuff. You had Darnell Wright as the first tackle coming off the board here. So why are you a member of the Wright Hive alongside myself <laughs> and others? I think, one, it was a fit thing. Going to Chicago, they need a right tackle. And I think in this draft class, these guys are close enough that I don't want to flip a Paris Johnson. I don't want to flip a Broderick Jones. And Peter Skaronsky, for as much as, you know, he's a hometown guy and would be, you know, probably great for the 10 Northwestern fans in Chicago rooting for the Bears. I don't think he's your prototypical right tackle. You're Chicago. You're a run-heavy team with Justin Fields. That's what you do. Darnell Wright is an absolute monster. And he is a line of scrimmage mover. I don't care if it's at the SEC, collegiate level, or the NFL. He is going to move dudes off the line of scrimmage. So I think it's more of a fit thing. My OT one is Peter Skronsky. I think he's awesome in pass protection. I think he's like, you know, this guy is, to me, like a Zach Martin reincarnated. Not Probably not going to be that good. But you're just like that caliber of prospect where it's just like, damn good player. Don't care where you play him. Damn good. But Darnell Wright just gives you a little different level of physicality that, that Peter Skronsky ain't competing with. All right, that's fair, and I always appreciate a little bit of uh, Northwestern slander here. The Chicago's Big Ten (laughs) team billboards always crack me up because we know deep down in places they don't want to talk about at parties who Chicago's Big Ten team is. Uh, Uh, Or just... Not, not Big Ten team, but team. Yeah, you know, it's a team in general. Maybe Big yeah. Ten eventually, depending on how things yeah, continue to go here. Wish, unfortunately, yeah, I guess yeah, it's you know that's that's kind of the way the cookies crumbling right now. Um, yeah. it, looking at the rest of this now, who are like the guys you look at as sort of sleeper candidates here? Obviously, you go through three rounds here, but you've been dialed in on this a long way. Where do you see the best value coming in the draft for you? So uh, there's a few guys that I'll really go to bat for who really aren't getting much love in my eyes, who are, I'll say one position player who I think is going to be an impact dude at the next level that really hasn't been talked about much is Kobe Turner from Wake Forest. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, he transferred from Richmond this past year. Uh, I can see why he's not getting hype. He's 6'2", 288 with like 32 inch arms. He's a tight frame dude. DT is a position where not that's just nfl doesn't go for guys like that you better have something unique about you and he does in my opinion he ran a 7083 cone at that size the guy has unique bend and you flip on his tape and he's just like flippering dudes left and right he has some 
power behind his mitts. I think he did 31 bench press reps at his pro day. Uh, we had him as the second highest graded DT in the power five behind Jalen Carter, which, and it was close. Like that's pretty darn good company. God. So I haven't seen him in any like top hundred. And to me, this guy is not just top hundred. Like I think he's like a starting caliber three tech at the next level. And then the other one, I'm going to go quarterback position. I, I think Tanner McKee, as much as I hate to say it, because I was at that stupid Stanford Notre Dame oh. game this past year, and it was the worst game all year that I could have chosen to go to. But he's accurate with the football, and he makes good decisions and doesn't turn the ball over and has an NFL-caliber arm and really hasn't played a lot of football because he took a two-year Mormon mission and was a really highly recruited dude that I'm just intrigued by where he could go with more talent around him because they weren't bad this year because of him. They were bad because they had no O-line and one wide receiver that could separate, and he was hurt all year. So uh, I, I think he's a lot more intriguing to me than Davis Mills was coming out of Stanford. And obviously he goes top of the third round and gets a starting kind of gig right away. I, I would love to see him just have an opportunity to start at some point because I think, I think there's something to work with there. Yeah, it, it, he's another one of those guys you talk about the offensive fits in college had to run that version of that trick dickum long mesh that Wake Forest runs that they opted for at Stanford this year that's deeply uncomfortable for non-Sam Hartman quarterbacks to go and run, which is why I'm glad we have him, our sweet baby boy. But yeah, oh, yeah. Tanner McGee kind of got thrown to the wolves with that one behind that O-line this year. So, so I interviewed him before the season, and I had gotten word uh, from Sam Schwartenstein that they were going to start doing that. And, and I didn't want to ask him about it on the podcast. He's like, don't talk about it. But I wanted to like, ask him. And I'm like, hey, I heard you're going to do like some Wake Forest uh, long mesh stuff. And he could not have been less excited when I brought it up. Like He was just like disheartened <laughs> that I even knew that that was the thing. He's like, he's like yeah, you, you know we'll see how it goes. I was just like, oh shit, dude. Like he wasn't excited at all to talk about it. No, and yeah, listen, which it, obviously why. Yeah. I, I'm just gonna say that's not an enviable position for any quarterback to try and have to throw balls in a phone booth. I had their game on the road against Oregon, and listen, they got over on Notre Dame, but you saw more often than not that was not a good time trying to throw from inside there and just getting hounded. And that's why, like, he did. He didn't make mistakes, or at least like didn't put the ball in harm's way when it was just yeah. awful in those pockets. So I, you can't even call them pockets because they're not really pass protecting. Whatever it is, the uh, the donut holes that he was in. Oh uh, yeah. So all right, a couple good ones to keep an eye on for everyone here, uh, Mike. Before we let you go, I am curious now because it, being a draft analyst, you know, for years when I was at ESPN, I saw Kuiper and McShay by the end of draft season. They look haggard. They look like they're going to fall over at any minute here. What does May look like for you? Like once you turn the page on draft weekend here, what's the first thing on the docket? May is glorious. May is like three rounds of golf a week. I'm, I'm going to Houston to see Zach Bryan in concert. Really looking forward to that. We're, we're just going to kick back and relax a little in May. I do love actually turning the page to 2020, to the next year's draft, because I get to do it casually. You know, I get to watch these guys for fun for the next year's draft instead of doing it and having to write notes and then putting those notes in a spreadsheet and then having to put it in a draft guide, I get to finally just watch tape and like enjoy watching it with no pressure. So that's what my May looks like. And May is the best month of the year. Oh, so PFF doesn't chain you to the desk and make you put out a sickos too early mock big board like they do with McShay. <laughs> we do a too early mock, not yes. a big board and no takes. And the mock, uh, I don't want to say mail it in. I just, the breadth of guys I cover, not massive. We get to 50 guys and we get 
you know, we get a game or two of 50 guys and then we and then we throw that box. If you get if you are a person out there in the world who is coming at Mike or anyone else for the depth or breadth of guys covered in the way too early 2024 draft, please, I encourage you to find God and find him soon. They're out there. Uh, you trust me? They are out there. And there's way more than you'd ever expect. Uh, Mike, this is a great reunion of our computer applications class. I appreciate the time, man. We'll have to do it a lot sooner than 12 years apart this time. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Brandon Newman, let's land the plane. Do you know what time it is? Damn Skippy Mike Gold Jr. Cut my life into pieces. This is that and the third. Suffocation. No breathing. Don't give up if you're all bleeding. This is that and the third. This is that in the third. Three topics, quick. Took in the podcast. Oh man! If you're listening to this in the morning, there's your shot of coffee. Hit the eject button. You can fight God today. You're capable of anything. Wish somebody would tell me I'm fine Losing my sight, losing my mind Wish somebody would tell me I'm fine Oh, goodness, Mike If you've, if you've been around the podcast long enough You know, back when I was in the garage I I, I think Papa Roach Last Resort was one of the first Karaoke yeah. style This, that, and the thirds That was OG That is very much <laughs> like an early so You were an early adopter if you recognize this one Let's put it that way And if you were, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating. Raise your hand and tell us if you were around for that first version of the Get Down. Brandon Newman um, rocking out um, with his pants. Still on, tastefully. Um, Brandon, let's get this, that, and the third. uh, Three quick shots uh, before we get out of here. And one of them includes your Los Angeles Lakers. Point of celebration, you know, to pull back the curtain. We're recording while they're playing the Clippers, so we don't know the outcome of that game. But... yes. They had an overtime win against the Jazz that did solidify and clinch their spot in the play-in tournament at least. So now they're playing for even more. And so 
that's obviously great news for the NBA because they're at the very least going to be in the play-in. But Brandon, the important part for me about the game um, between them and the Clippers, LeBron James and Anthony Davis played. It was the most Mm. minutes LeBron had played in that Jazz game since he had come back. Anthony Davis hadn't logged more than 40 minutes since late January, and they'd almost always rested him on the second night of back-to-backs. And so this was one where they absolutely needed to play if it was even remotely possible because the benefit of getting potentially to the five seed and getting out of the play-in tournament, the five or six seed, as opposed to resting them like you normally would, but then having to play extra basketball, to me, not even worth the discussion. Like You're at that point in the year where you're always going to be health conscious with your two stars because you need them for the long run, but you got to get while the getting's good in the last few games here. Yeah, I mean, especially with uh, Marcus Morris and Paul George out for the Clippers, this is a real great opportunity because uh, Kawhi Leonard just isn't at a position to take the bulk of the reps for the Clippers anymore. Obviously, they, this could be a really good revenge game for Russell Westbrook, but I do feel like the fact that D'Angelo Russell is also listed as active for this game, like this is, like like you said before, this is time to figure this shit out. Like, just risk the injuries. Like, you need the wear and tear on the body. Like, we need all of these wins. They're both sitting pretty at... Uh, 41 wins and 38 losses. I I, I don't know. I, yeah, I feel like the Clippers, the Clippers have every reason to be the team that wins. But as the Lakers just got done winning four straight games in a row, like this will be the cherry on top. The Lakers are on a heater right now. And, and what you see from a lot of teams, too, at the end of the season, and maybe it's less important with LeBron, but I would argue because of the injury, it's probably just as important as it's always been. When you've got an opportunity against a quality opponent before the end of the season, you want to ramp it up to close to playoff mode and try and get a win. You want to see and feel that. When we were getting ready for pro days, the advice that we got from the place that I trained was, hey, three days before, we want you to touch 80% of your 40. We want you to get up there, Mm -hmm. feel what it's like to get there, and then you throttle down that next little bit. And so the Lakers got to touch that, got to try and get themselves out of the playing game if at all possible right now, and then go from there. We'll wait and see again. This will be dated by the time you hear it but the big news they are in the dance the Lakers did what I thought was going to be impossible when LeBron James went down and they get to keep it moving Brandon they're not the only ones that are getting help though uh we'll get to that Andrew Wiggins getting set to make his debut for the Warriors after missing uh since mid-February dealing with personal issues according to Shams uh that personal issue had to do with his father Mitchell Wiggins dealing with a uh, health situation a medical situation a very serious one and we're glad that he's back I hope that everything is well with his family and I'm glad he took that time away this is just kind of a reminder to everybody that wanted to jump to weird ugly rumors on the internet about things going on in Andrew Wiggins relationship things that his significant other had to answer questions about is gross we know a lot and are given a lot of access there needs to be room for privacy in certain areas of these guys' lives and for certain things. I understand a team coming off a championship performing the way Golden State did for a large portion of the season, especially when Wiggins was out, feels like the end of the world. There's stuff guys are dealing with all the time that's never going to make it out in public that's putting them in a position where they can't be there in the ways they want to. So we got to be a little bit more respectful of that as a public. Yeah, I think they're... I think we're on... I can't say that the entire society is headed in that trajectory, 
but I feel like the NBA and at least the reporters that are covering the game are. And I think there's a I think Wiggins received some actual honest love and respect from Warriors fans and everyone covering the the team uh, in a real way. It was it was very human the way he was allowed to leave not allowed to leave obviously you leave whenever you need to but like the way he came back as well yeah well and that's a good reminder too i'd imagine like we know his teammates knew and every time steph or steve kerr or clay all got to the podium their response was always the same about supporting their teammate during the time that he had going on and respecting his privacy i'm sure them i'm sure most of the local reporters around there the team the personnel knew I'm sure they knew what was going on or at least knew to some extent, which allows you to kind of put up the barriers. That's sort of when those relationships, because you spend so much time and you've got that kind of access that it allows you to kind of put up the guards and really make it clear, hey, this guy's away and he's back when he'll be back and we need to respect that. And usually when it's that stern, you should know that there's a good reason why. So obviously thrilled that Andrew Wiggins is coming back. It's huge for the postseason push for the Warriors, what he does for them on the court. Uh, Legitimate. We've called him NBA Gohan for a while now, and to have him back on the court for the playoffs, huge win. I mean, that with the way Jordan Poole is playing right now, Warriors are just as dangerous as they've ever been. Super potent Western Conference right in that middle, man. It's going to be a fun, fun postseason on that side. Brandon, let's get to the third. Uh, We don't like ratings talk all that much. We did celebrate when the women's tournament did so many great numbers. We do have to also point out that the UConn win over San Diego State in the men's national title was the lowest rated final on record. Uh, Their national championship game drew 14.69 million viewers on CBS overnight. The previous low was when Villanova beat Michigan uh, in 2018. UConn's... uh, That was a great game. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, no, that was the previous low, though, which is crazy. Um, yeah. It's a buzzer uh, beater, wasn't it? <laughs> was that the buzzer? Jesus Christ, that might have been. That would be, an, I don't think there's any way, because this number makes yeah, sense to me, Brandon. Yeah. Like, this was a game that didn't have a lot of juice going into it because of the teams, and then was never really good. I think it got trimmed to six points in the first five or so minutes of the second half, and then yeah. that went poof and disappeared pretty quickly. Now, We always have to remind people it's relative in sports. It was still the most watched program on television on Monday evening and the most watched basketball game college or pro since Kansas beat North Carolina in last year's national championship. So we know sports operate on a different level. We know March Madness does, but this did give credence to everyone that was like, yeah, this game's not all that exciting. And I think more importantly, it just wasn't any good. Like at least the LSU, Caitlin Clark, Iowa game that peaked at about 12 million viewers, it got close for a while. You had Caitlin Clark there as a draw. You had all the names there as a draw, even if that game wasn't very close for a lot of the second half either. Yeah, it's unfair. It's odd to say it like this, Mike, but in this world that we live in in the media, you're watching something and you can almost tell who else is watching it and it felt like <laughs> it felt like going to a gas station past midnight. It's like just kind of a ghost town. But right. uh, I do want to clean that up. The Villanova 2016 against North Carolina ah. was the big buzzer beater game. That that Michigan win was, I think, uh, DiVincenzo. Oh, White uh, Dante. Yes, yes. When he was, I think, he's with the Warriors, right? Yep. 
Yeah, he so that was his last game. And also, Mo Wagner was on the uh, Mo Wagner, excuse me, uh, was on the German Michigan W's. Team man, at that point. they'll get you. Yeah, they'll no. get you every time. But no, it's it, it's it's a good reminder. And you're right about feeling it in that moment. This was to me. It was going into it the twenty uh, the Rams Patriots Super Bowl, like. Ooh. Little bit more juice because it was the Rams, because of all that. You obviously have Tom Brady, know, but man. the game was such a rock fight in the way that this one, at least San Diego State, wanted to make it. You had long stretches without them making shots. No one wants to watch a defensive battle in a championship game unless there's a little bit of offense mixed in and it's a little bit close and we didn't really get that, so Yeah. No, that that was that was really that was really bad. I watched that Super Bowl with Earl Watson, the uh, NBA player, and he was like Brandon, this is the sport. Like this is what y'all, this is what you fight for. Like, this, this oh, the, this the your king. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, Gronk. At least he's there too. He had that one nice seam catch. Uh, but you know who this doesn't matter to at all? UConn, because I have talked to a lot of my very hungover friends, and I think the mountains were all still blue. Everything still hit different after that game. So, congrats to UConn. You guys don't have to give a damn. Danny Hurley, that school. Enjoy banner number fr- number five. You guys all earned it. If you guys enjoyed this podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the podcast tab. Gojo with Michael. Jr. and wash our faces there. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.